We know there are times where you're just too busy to sort through the mass of information that comes your way. So to make it easier for you to stay informed, subscribe to The Morning Agenda, WITF's news podcast, where the only agenda is you. Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, providing primary and advanced specialty care throughout all of central Pennsylvania and beyond. A list of providers in the area can be found at upmc.com slash find a doc. Between 1980 and 2020, the average price of tuition, fees, and room and board for an undergraduate degree at colleges and universities increased 169%. That's according to a recent report from Georgetown University's Center on Education and the Workforce. Since the COVID pandemic, college costs have actually held steady. But the average 2020 price tag of $28,775 has kept some would-be students from getting a degree, even though most students on their own don't don't pay full amount since they get financial aid. The institutions are well aware that the cost to attend is high. Millersville University in Lancaster County is trying something new that will reduce costs for students in several ways. To tell us more on the spark today is Millersville University President Dr. Daniel Wilba. Dr. Wilba, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Scott. So tell us about the idea behind this new model, and we'll talk about specifics in just a moment, but what was the thinking that went into it? Um, Well, um, in order to address that, we have to look at how uh, we ended up with the PEC credit tuition model. Um, If we look at, as you rightly mentioned, uh, the cost of higher education um, in this country, it's been mainly made up of the tuition, the fees, you know, that's uh, other expenses such as books, you know, as well as, you know, uh, other incidental costs relating to a room and board. So at Millersville, you know, um, we actually went into this per credit uh, tuition model about 10 years ago. And it came about because as part of the PASHI system, um, about between 2012 and 2014, uh, what happened was uh, the investors uh, were allowed to do uh, their own internal and external research on pricing. And this led to university-specific pilot programs to test the various pricing concepts that existed at that time. This was done to give the passion investors maximum flexibility to respond to the local needs of their students uh, as well as the institution. And as part of that, Millersville you know, um, went into this per credit uh, tuition uh, model which um, for most universities, it enabled the universities to generate enough revenues to support uh, their programs. Mm. So, you know, Pashi, by the way, for those who don't know, Pennsylvania State uh, System of Higher Education, and there are, or there were, 14 universities in in the system. So explain the model that Millersville has adopted, and we'll, we'll talk about tuition first. Well... And the model that we've adopted, that's PASHI um, on its own, has a fee, a flat rate that, you know, PASHI basically says universities should um, 
be asking students to pay on a semester basis between uh, 12 and 18 credits. So a student, you know, uh, in the PASHI system currently will typically pay $7,716 per year, taking between, you know, the 12 um, to 18 credits each semester, meaning they can take up to 36, 30 to 36 credits per year, you know, at that amount. That is what uh, the Board of Governors have approved. Under the per credit tuition model, what the investors then did was uh, they actually started uh, requiring students to pay based on the number of credits. So if a student, uh, for example, uh, was taking currently uh, was taking 15 credits, it means they will pay an additional three credits beyond the 7,716. That's the flaw that uh, PASHI you know, has allowed us to do. So students in most cases had to pay extra for credits beyond 12 credits each semester. And that is how the additional revenues you know, were generated. Now our move is back to the 7,716 for students to take between 12 and 18 credits. So for something that a student, for credits that student paid this academic year, next year they can take up to six extra credits without paying any additional funds, and we've reduced it now to the base of seven thousand seven hundred sixteen dollars per you know year. And as you just mentioned, this starts with the uh, academic year this fall, correct? Yes, from fall um, of uh, twenty twenty four. All right. So this flat tuition model, something you you mentioned just a few minutes ago that I'm curious about, uh, if this is going to, in effect, reduce the cost of tuition for students. How about the revenue? How are you going to generate the same amount of revenue if you are reducing tuitions? Well, actually, that is something that we considered. In our, in our projections as we uh, thought about moving from uh, the per credit tuition model to the flat rate. We know that in the first couple of years, it is likely that using the same number of enrollments, we would see a decrease in revenue. So we are taking two main steps to do that. The first one is we are using cost containment where we are decreasing uh, quite a bit of our expenditure so that you know, we'll be able to balance our books. And we expect that with this uh, flat rate tuition, we will see an increase in enrollments, and that will then make up for the difference. We are very mindful of, our, of the fact that, you know, there is this cliff that has been projected coming in the next two years, you know, for uh, that's, um, the traditional age student. But we believe that starting now and with the efforts that our enrollment management group are working on, we'll be able to make up the difference between you know, moving from the per-credit tuition model to the flat rate. Those expenditures that you mentioned, how are you holding the line on expenditures or actually cutting expenditures? Well, actually, there are a few um, approaches that we are currently using. Um, we already have in place uh, something we call a comprehensive planning program. That is um, for all partial universities and the um, Board of Governors approved that. So each university over the past five years has been right-sizing the faculty to student ratio. Because as you are aware, uh, the number of um, that's, our enrollments have gone down over the past decade. But you know, we haven't seen a concomitant you know, decrease in our employee uh, population. 
So we've been working on that, and each university worked with the uh, chancellor's office to come up with a certain ratio that we are targeting. So that by itself is currently allowing us to decrease our costs when it comes to personnel. And that is one way by which we are you know, containing costs. In addition to that, locally at Millersville, recently we've started something we call vacancy management you know, uh, committee. Previously, when a position became open in any department, the assumption was it to be refilled. We are not doing that anymore. When that uh, position becomes available across campus, this committee made up of three of my cabinet members are the ones who will receive that request to refill positions. They will review it, looking at the comprehensive that's a number of positions we have on campus, and they make a recommendation to me for approval. So we are not automatically filling all our positions that are becoming available. And as we have people retiring, our employees retiring too, we are paying attention to that to make sure that we can keep costs, knowing that about 75% of our costs as an organization comes from personnel. So that's one place we are really targeting. And then we will then also look at some of our operational costs across campus. We are currently working on it where we've asked you know, each division to look at how they can enhance efficiency you know, within their operations. Mm. All right. So something you just mentioned, and in the past when we've spoken, and this is not unique to Millersville, but as you mentioned, enrollments have been down. And this is across the majority of uh, the state universities in Pennsylvania. One reason being that there are fewer, fewer high school graduates here in Pennsylvania. But what are the current trends in enrollment for Millersville? And well, do you see, do you see, have we seen anything different with the number or percentage of uh, high school graduates in the state? Um, with regards to our enrollment trends, um, I've been um, here um, since 2018. In the first two years, we actually see an uptick of 0.4% in the first year, 0.5% in the second year, and then the pandemic hits. And since then, our numbers have, you know, at Millersville has been going down. So at the moment, and uh, we currently um, have a partnership. We have a consultant. It's called uh, Raffolo Neolevitz. We are working with this company, and they are helping us to increase our enrollments by giving us suggestions about how to do our entire recruitment process. And so we expect that you know, using the models that they've given us and applying those, we are going to see an increase you know, overall in terms of our enrollments you know, in the coming years. In, in the uh, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, it is, uh, that's, it's not a secret that and the number of high school students who are going to graduate is going to decrease. That's what we call the cliff that is coming in 2025, 2026. Um, currently, if you look, and normally you determine that by the number of students who are enrolled in high school. So as an institution, we are not going to rely only on students, the traditional age students coming to Millersville, but we started a number of programs that will enable us to increase our undergraduate enrollment. For example, in the Lancaster County area alone, there are more than 50,000 people who have some college credits. They've taken classes, but they never graduated. So working with a company like REOP, we are identifying those people and trying to get them to come back to complete their degrees. And two years ago, we started this effort 
We, we actually projected that we're going to get about 200 students per year in that program. It is one of our fastest growing areas in the undergraduate enrollment. We currently have more than 600 students enrolled in this, and we call them the degree completers. So we are making efforts to make sure that in that, uh, as we face this demographic cliff, we'll be able to get um, a backfill. Dr. Wilbur, how is this different than what the other PASHI schools or even uh, institutions across the country are doing? I mean, I've been saying this is unique. How unique is it? Well, um, the move from the per credit tuition model to flat rate by itself is going to save our students who are currently enrolled you know, some money. Because even before that, you know, they came in assuming they will pay a certain amount and students are excited about the fact that they'll be able to save some money by this switch to uh, the flat rate. But let me just uh, give about some, uh, talk about a few specific efforts that as a university, we are making that uh, to ensure that cost is um, contained or makes the whole attendance of Millersville affordable. We have a strategic plan that has four main pillars. The first pillar talks about making the Millersville education affordable and accessible, and also increasing the rate at which students will be able to graduate within a short time, within the four-year period. That is one of the driving forces behind what we are doing. In our case, too, there are two other aspects that you know we've built into this shift that will make them will make it unique compared to other places. The first one is we recently finished a capital campaign where we raised $110 million, and majority of it is going to scholarships for students. For example, we created close to 220 individual scholarships for students. That is going to also cut costs for students. So in addition to Paying less for the tuition, we also give you scholarship. That is different. That is, you don't normally see the two going hand in hand. And the third, the second um, approach that we are using that in a way is unique is we've uh, reactivated our efforts towards keeping the cost for students in other areas you know, lower. One, we've maintained the cost of our residence halls. Room and board has stayed flat in the entire time that I've been here. That is unheard of because on most campuses, prices are going up. And we have kept the cost of rent and room and board flat. Also, we've invested into students using open resource you know, material. So, for example, we have students who have to buy a textbook. In some of the science classes, one textbook can cost as much as $150. Working with our faculty members, we incentivize it by providing them you know, basically additional resources. The faculty members are moving from using, requiring students to get the hard copy to use the online material, which is free to the students. So we have students who are saving as much as four to $500 each semester on the cost of books. So we are using a comprehensive approach, which in a way makes it a bit different from a typical situation where you just have a decrease in tuition. Hmm. You know, hearing all this, it really sounds good, but there are a lot of people, and I'm kind of jumping around on you here, and I think I've asked you this question before, but the public asks this question all the time. You know, I mentioned that figure of 169% that it has increased in the last 40 years, tuition, room, and board. Why have costs gone up so much? And that's much higher than inflation. 
Well, that uh, you've actually um, hit the nail in the head. If you look at the trend of the cost of higher education in the past two decades, it's always been higher um, than inflation for a couple of reasons. The first one is there's been a shift in terms of the requirements or the regulations that have been put in place for universities to abide by. I'll give you an example. 20 years ago, there were no offices of diversity and inclusion on campuses. Now, in most cases, we are required to have them. It is part of our standard operating uh, procedure. In addition to that, okay, when you look at some of the requirements that we get from accrediting bodies, accrediting agencies, they all add cost to our expenditures as a university. So we have external forces that are requiring us to you know, increase the cost of education. Another example of, and so that's under, basically a case where it's the external factors that are pushing us to increase our cost because you have to be accredited in order to operate. The second one and the second source of uh, added costs in most cases has to do with the new services that we have to provide to students. And let me give you just one example. At the moment, on most campuses, we have what we call success coaches okay, who work with students. In addition to their regular classroom instructions, we have to provide them with additional you know, um, services to enable them to prepare for the workforce. This was not something that was standard on campuses previously, but we have to you know, uh, provide that. In health services, the recent pandemic has had a major impact on the mental and the well-being of our students. So we had to increase you know, the number of counselors that we have. All those pieces add cost to our operations. So there are several factors that have actually led to this cost, both internal and external. Mm. You know, and I think we've talked about this before, too, but you, not just you personally, but Millersville, has to compete with other institutions out there. One of the ways that colleges and universities have tried to compete is new facilities, new dorms, uh, you know, maybe not a roommate in a dorm, a single uh, uh, student in a dorm. You know, there's been a building boom over the last well, I don't know if it's 40 years, but at least the last 20 years. Has that added to the cost? And that seems like if you're going to compete by that method, that cost will continue to rise. Um, Scott, you are absolutely right with regards to the increase in the new buildings on campuses. But in the way they are related you know, in, uh, to the services that students require. Okay, For example... If you go to the residence halls of any campus that just built one recently, students now prefer to live in suites. We are competing with a campus that will have these suites for them. So for us to be able to get students to come to Millersville, we have to have similar facilities. And that has been one of the challenges that institutions have faced. But you know, in any you know, sector or any enterprise, you have to be mindful of the competition. And you are absolutely right. There were some institutions, there were some institutions that put up those buildings, but they were not able to fill them with students. And that has also increased their cost because you have to pay the bonds. Mm. We have less than a minute left, Dr. Wibble. Always good talking with you. But uh, uh, how will you know whether this is a success or not? Um, 
to initiate this process, we actually have our own projections in terms of the number of students that we need in order to be able to meet the cost or to call it a success. So we have metrics and targets that we've put in place that we expect to accomplish. And that is what we are working on. So for the next two years, we'll make sure we'll be looking at where we are compared to the targets that we need to call it a success. I'm just curious and quickly with this one, uh, have other institutions adopted your model or contacted you about this model? Well, uh, within the PASHI system, uh, there, there are only two institutions that were using this model. We have moved from that. Uh, other institutions have been contacted, but I've heard from other institutions outside the state of uh, Pennsylvania who were uh, trying to get additional information on what we've been doing. Dr. Daniel Wuba is the president of Millersville University. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Scott. It's a pleasure.